the series we're moving into is called Noel. And uh, it's going to be a series that we're going to kind of frame the, 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 great, the greatest story, really, that's ever been told, uh, the wonderful story of Christmas. And uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of base it on some Christmas songs, and kind of each week we'll kind of look at uh, an idea from a Christmas song, okay? So, so that's kind of where we're going. And uh, so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. The other thing that I'm excited about is uh, starting into uh, a kind of just looking into some uh, scripture, kind of walking through it a little bit at a time. And so we're going we're gonna to spend a little time here in the book of Luke, here at the, at the front end, and um, we're going to wrestle with the story and we're going to try to see it from a different point of view, going to try to make sure that we're living in a way that is... Um, representative of what Jesus has done and what he says to us. He, uh, it's, it's so amazing. I love Christmas time because, you know, in our society, there really is no other time of the year where people um, kind of are ob- sort of obsessed. They're thinking about it all the time. They're thinking about kindness. They're thinking about hope. They're thinking about uh, how to share with people in need. I mean, people are thinking about charities, and they're thinking about different ways that they can help others. And it's, it's an amazing time of year for us as believers. And we should celebrate every bit of it. We should leverage every bit of it that we can. We should not get caught up in the commercialism and the, all those, you know, the frustrating schedule that happens in the holidays. We should not let that stuff get us down. We should be the ones who are taking every opportunity, say every opportunity, every opportunity to capitalize on the goodwill, the goodwill that is happening in our city even now, that peace on earth is what Jesus really came to bring, and you can be a representative of that wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whoever you're interacting with, whatever's happening around you, you should be looking for places to bring peace. You should be looking for places to bring goodwill from God. That is incarnational living. You are Jesus with skin on. See, Jesus came. He came here in skin, all right? Jesus, the Son of God, born as a baby, as a human, and that is, he is incarnate. He became flesh. Carne means flesh, you know, chili con carne. It's like there's meat. meat. What it means is chili with meat, (laughs) Sorry, that was weird. It just popped out. But Jesus came in the flesh. He came as a human, and he came to demonstrate who God is, his character, his nature, the way he works. And then, of course, he passes that on to us. That's why this this story is so important to us, because it represents for us what he's then asked us to become. Jesus walking around on earth with skin on. We now live incarnationally. We live, the flesh of God lives through us. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so I think we have to understand this story. So I love Christmas time. It's so much fun. We should be happy. We should be joyful. We should celebrate. We should should, uh, understand that the evergreen trees are all about everlasting life. And we should understand that, that the light that we put on our trees and the lights that we see in the city, there we should remind us of the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, and we should see every, all the red bows and everything that's red and white is the blood of Jesus and how it cleanses us from sin. 
I know you're thinking, think, you're thinking to yourself, this guy's nuts. He's a Christmas weirdo. Doesn't he know that Christmas started as a pagan holiday? Yes, but this is what Christians do. We take really bad things and we turn them into something really good. It's actually what God does. And we reflect him in that. And so, um, so I, I think we ought to celebrate it. We ought to celebrate this most important story. A little boy and a girl were singing their favorite Christmas carol in church the Sunday before Christmas. And the boy concluded, silent night, with the words, sleep in heavenly beams. <laughs> no, his sister corrected. That's not it. It's not beans. It's peas. <laughs> you got to admit, that was a good one. That was a good one. It's not beans. It's peas. Similarly, I think we can get off track with what Christmas is really all about. Similarly, I think we think we can become sort of wrong-headed in the way we approach Christmas. And so we're going to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to study a little bit. Let's start, and let's dig in, let's dive in with Luke chapter 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitnesses. And servants of the word. Say servants of the word. So therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated. Everybody say investigated. Since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. For you, most excellent Theophilus. That's a cool name. All of you that are thinking about having babies, that's a consideration right there. Theophilus. Tell you why in just a second. So that you may know the certainty. Okay, so he's writing to this this guy named Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The book of Luke is actually the longest in terms of verses of all the Gospels. It was, it's got the most information in it. And most Bible scholars think that it was written by Dr. Luke, who was a companion of the Apostle Paul. And, um, and it's, not, it's not 100% sure that he did, but most Bible scholars, it's a pretty good guess that he did. And he wrote it, Probably somewhere between AD 60s, probably in the 60s or 70s, 60s or 70s. That would mean 60 or 70 years after the birth of Christ. And, uh, you know, the, our schedule is off with the way uh, BC and AD work. You know, BC um, is uh, before Christ. Uh, Anno Domini is the year of our Lord. And um, so we've got, we've got this... Um, this writing that Luke is doing, you know, somewhere probably in the 60s or 70s, and he's, and he's taking time to interview eyewitnesses, he, say, he says here, that he's taking time to investigate. He's taking time to read what's already, already been written. What we see as he writes this is there's already information being written about, it, and he's, he, he has that information. 
He's probably read some of what's been written about Jesus already, and he begins to investigate. He begins to talk to people who would probably still be alive. Certainly people, this is 30 years after the ministry begins, 30 or 40 years after the ministry of Jesus happens. And it's interesting, some people try to discredit the Gospels by saying they were sort of rewritten to make sure that the propaganda of first century Christians would get out. But the truth is, the book of Luke is probably written more like a, uh, a family uh, account, a diary. You know how when you sit around and you tell stories at Christmas time, you know you're at the Thanksgiving table and somebody starts in on a story and they start telling the story, but then they keep getting interrupted by, hey, that's not how it happened. No, no, you, no, that's not how it happened. It happened this way. Um, and then there's a, st- there's, a, there's a storytelling thing that goes on and, and, and you get it right because you've got all those people there. Here's what was happening to Luke. He was writing it in an environment where people would have known the story. They weren't, he, wasn't, he wasn't writing it to rewrite history. He was writing it knowing he would be corrected by history. And so it's really interesting um, how Luke follows up on this, on this investigation, and he begins to identify the history of Jesus. And so we can trust it, we can, we can understand it, and Theophilus, let's talk about who Theophilus is. Theophilus was probably a Roman official, probably a government person, although some people think that Theophilus was actually just kind of a literary device. That, he was, that Luke was writing or, or, or the, this, this idea, and he was saying, because Theophilus means, here's what it means, ready? This is why you want to name your kid it. Theophilus means a lover of God. Isn't that nice? Some of you ladies just got almost convinced. You could call him Theo. So, so Theophilus means a lover of God, and it is clear if Theophilus is uh, indeed a, a person, he has already known about Jesus. He's already understood the message. He's already embraced the work of Christ. But now we need to make sure that you know the certainty of the things that have been taught. Let me help you with how this works, with how it happened. And so in the time of Herod, king of Judea, verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, this means that both of these people were descendants of Levites. Both of these people were in the holy priesthood, all right? And so here they are, they're descendants of the, in the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, and so both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot. Lot means they uh, created an opportunity for the Lord to determine who would go and take their responsibility at the temple. And so they would use uh, different elements um, that they would throw on the table and, and rocks or different things, and, and the, the lot would be cast, and you would have, it would be your, ro- your rock that would be cast, and then it would, you'd know, this is, this is me, and I surrendered it to the Lord and to the way He works. And so what happened was, by lot, by the selection 
process where the Lord was involved according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this is kind of a cool little thing, and I'm going to sit down because I want to I go into storytelling mode, all right? Are you with me? Do you have your Bibles open? You got your Bibles over, you're reading along with me. I want you to make notes about what we're reading here because this story has so much to tell us about how we can live. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you, will, you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Everybody say, a people who are ready. This is what I kind of want to talk to you about today because as we begin to peer into the, the story of Jesus, what we see Luke doing is he's setting the stage. He's giving us a picture of something that happened just before context for us of what was happening around this same time. He's giving us understanding that we can sort of see God is doing something. Can you hear the baby crying? You can almost hear it. There's a Jesus, the child. It's amazing how that happens. I'm such a good storyteller. <laughs> I want you to think about I want you to think about preparation. I said at the beginning of the service that the Advent season is really about anticipation. It's a, it's a story about expectation. It's a story about preparation. We understand that that here by this story that our friend Zachariah had been praying for a long time wondering if God would answer his prayer and give him a son, that his wife was barren. We see the context of the story of Jesus in the context of expectation and anticipation, a preparation, and what, what this angel shows up. So here's Zechariah. He goes to his, on his duty, usually a priestly duty, a couple of times a year. He would go. These, these, Zechariah and, and, um, and Elizabeth... They did not live in Jerusalem. They, they were not uh, urban hipsters in the city. They actually lived out near Dripping Springs. And um, they, <laughs> they, li they lived out in the Judean countryside. And so he would go, he was part of this community, and that community, he would function as a priest and, and, and have duties there. But then he would go to the temple. And as he would go to the temple, he would take his place. Uh, typically a couple of times a year, one week at a time. And he would take his turn with the duties that needed to go on at the, at, at the temple. Now, we need to understand that Zechariah was not necessarily somebody special. Okay, there was, a, what they say, 18,000 18, different priests in this, of this order. 
that participated <laughs> with this, typically at this particular time. And so he was just a guy who was doing his job, and he showed up at his appointed time. He was doing his duty. He was being faithful with what God had given him to do. But he was longing. He was longing for something. I think we need to consider that the coming of Christ references and helps us understand that in the world, it, it feels like things are not right as they should be. All is not well with the world. Have you noticed? There is a longing that people have for things to be right, for things to be done well, for things to be fair, for things to be just. This is in the world. And, and God and the Advent season is really about God coming to make things right. Hi there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. Did you guys hear that? It was like God talking to me. It was like God was speaking to us right there. Wow, it's amazing. I'm a great storyteller. So, so, so the Advent season is like God speaking to the earth and saying, I'm going to make things right. I want to make things right. And there is an expectation and an anticipation, a longing that God will indeed make things right that he came in the first advent and we celebrate the coming of the kingdom, the introduction of a kingdom that he wanted to bring to the earth. And we participate in that kingdom and now we live in that in-between time, that interim period between the coming of the kingdom and the announcing of the kingdom. Jesus announced that it was coming and now we live in that in-between time where his kingdom will be, become uh, fulfilled, where there will be a fullness that his kingdom will, be, will happen as it should. And in the in the in-between time, we work in his kingdom. We work to fulfill his kingdom. We work to bring his kingdom to the earth. So there's this Advent season where there's a longing, there's a there's an expectation, there's a preparation. And the question I want you to ask yourself today is: Are you preparing? Are you prepared? Are you prepared for what God wants to do for you, with you, in you? Are you anticipating? Are you expecting him to do something? Do you live in a state of expectation? Sadly, I think so many of us do not. But here we see in this story, Zechariah, he's doing his duty. He comes to the, comes to the, to the temple, and he's, it comes to him to... Um, to light the censer, the, 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 he comes to the burning of incense, and he comes and he, and he burns the incense, and as he's doing it, this is so crazy, as he's doing it, an angel appears right beside him, and you can sort of see him. <gasps> the Bible says he was gripped with fear. The Bible said he was freaked out in the parsley paraphrase, and as, you, as, he, as he was freaked out, it was like, okay, just think for a second, where is he? He's in the temple. Who is he? He's a priest. He's actually doing one of it. Is, is there another place that would be more common for an angel to show up? <laughs> I don't know. He's shocked by an angel. The angel comes. And this is the thing that bugs me about angelic sightings in the scripture. The angel comes and he freaks out. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Well, stop scaring me. 
stop showing up out of nowhere. There's a thing that happens when people, when, when, when God visits people, there's, there's something that's kind of intimidating. It's awesome. It's overwhelming. And then God's first words, angelic beings' first message is almost always in the scriptures, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And what I want to say to you today is don't be afraid to risk living in expectation. Most people are afraid to hope. Because the people that offer hope many times, the political parties that offer hope, the people who say they are carriers of hope, disappoint. They're afraid to risk. The angel says, don't be afraid. Your many prayers have been heard. Your many prayers have been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And then he describes how he's, his name will be John. And John, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes, and he's going to be this one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. And in the Old Testament, there were prophetic books and messages that said that in the, in the coming age, the Messiah will come, and Elijah will usher him in. And so here he's referencing a prophetic message that talks about Elijah ushering in the Messiah. And so he says here, this guy is going to come and help make people ready. He's going to make people ready. We must ask ourselves again in this time, in this day, for the second advent, are we ready for Jesus? Are we ready for him to come? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife, she's no spring chicken. He sort of needs a sign, doesn't he? He kind of turns to the angel and says, okay, uh, how can I know for sure? How can I have proof? And then he turns to the angel and says, I'm an old man. <laughs> this isn't going to work. I don't know about this plan. This plan doesn't work too well. The angel said, hey, do you know who I am? He really does. If you look at what he says right there, he says, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Don't mess with me. It's just, you can kind of see the angel kind of standing there. You know, first he says, don't be afraid, after he scares him. And then he says, look, I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent. <laughs> and now he needed a sign. And so God gave him a sign. It wasn't the one he was expecting. But he became silent. He said, I'm going to make you silent so you can't talk like that anymore. And not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering. Now, by the way, this silence is a really interesting reference point because it is that this moment that we're suffering, in, in, in this moment in history, that there had been a suffering of the word of God, a silence of God's word. Sorry, a suffering of the silence of God's word. The, the word had not been spoken that there had been a, a, a time period where God was just not speaking through his prophets. People were not hearing. The word of the Lord was rare. And here, something is happening that is, that is giving people a clue 
There's a clue. And if you, if you will be careful to look, if you will be willing to take the risk to live in expectation, what you will find is God typically gives clues. He doesn't always show up like right there, like right in the middle. He'll, he'll give you a clue. He'll give you some insight. He'll show you something that is going to happen. You'll look at it and you'll go, wow, that's odd. Man, I have not experienced so many clues since I, I mean, in my life, since I started One Chapel. There are so many clues. I think it's amazing what God just keeps doing. He's touching people. He's, I'm, I mean, I'm able, I'm, I'm having such a great time helping people understand the story, people coming to Christ, coaching people and discipling them. I mean, what God is doing as he puts the pieces together, there's going to be a great story here. I'm just telling you, the story is going to be amazing. But sometimes I get into a realm of fear, or I, I'm afraid God won't come through, or I'm afraid that people will disappoint, or I'm, I need to live in a state of expectation that God is for me and for this church and for this city, and He has a plan and a purpose, and He wants to involve us in it. So here he is. He says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. So they're out there, you know, there's a big crowd out there waiting, 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 waiting. Where is he? It's like, what happened? I don't know. Should we pull him out? When, the, when he came out, he could not speak to them. So he comes out and he can't say anything. Very frustrating when you've seen an angel. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Can you imagine the scene? He's like, how do you describe that an angel, you just saw an angel? <laughs> He's giving them signs. That he wants them to say, I've seen an angel, something's going to happen, I'm telling you, I want to I tell you, I can't tell you. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Such a wonderful thing. In these days, it was a disgrace for a woman not to be able to bear children. And here she'd been praying all these years. I want you to notice with these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were consistent and faithful in doing what they knew to do. They prayed diligently and then God surprised them by answering their prayer. They were broken people. They were disgraced in some sense in their community. They were broken but not bitter. They were broken but not bitter. I want to challenge you today not to live in the bitterness of the past, in the woundedness of disappointment, in the struggle of whatever you've been through, whatever you've lived through, to let Jesus touch you, to, to, to let him stir faith inside of your heart that he is actually doing something behind the scenes. And there's clues all around you if you'd be willing to just open your eyes. 
Let's keep reading. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Gabriel's got a lot to do. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words. <laughs> so the, the angel comes, and even when the angel says, this is really a good thing, and you have all the favor of God. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? What is that? What are you saying to me? What does that mean exactly? As we will find out in the story, it doesn't mean exactly what Mary thinks it means. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This is Jesus that the angel's talking about. And then verse 34 says, how will this be? Like, I always thought that was a little strange question. It's kind of like your kids asking you, where do babies come from? And I do think that the difference here between, it's interesting, the contrast between Zechariah, who wants proof, and Mary, who just wants information, just wants to know. Different heart, different angle, different understanding, different journey. Mary is probably 15, somewhere in her teens. Zechariah is old, weathered been serving a long time. Not a bad guy, just subdued by the experiences of his life. Mary, though, says, how will this be since I am, not a, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, look, there's a clue. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, was said, she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing. Ha, ha, ha. You should take your little pen, and you should write that down right here. For nothing is impossible with God. You have to see the significance in the time period, the period of Roman domination, the brutality of the Roman world. You have to see it in the context of, being of the people of God being delivered from Egypt only to be enslaved many years later to the Babylonians and to others. You have to see it through the process, the eyes of Israelites who would look at the coming of the Messiah and the longing and the, and the expectation and the disappointment, the frustration, the difficulty, the sadness, the wrestling. It is here at this moment that God enters the history, the story. The question is, when will God enter your story? Will you be prepared? Will you be ready? Will you live in a state of expectation where you can receive Him when He comes? I love what Mary says. She says, after she says, for nothing is impossible with God, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. 
And then the angel left her. May it be to me as you have said. This is the response that we need to have. This is the response of living in expectation. May it be to me as your word has said. May it be to me as what I've heard you say to me. I'm going to live in a way that is not cynical or skeptical or full of fear or full of disappointment. I'm going to live in a way that expects God and is looking for clues. If there's two, if there's two ways to live in the earth, isn't this one, isn't the expectation way of living much better? Isn't it much happier? I know some of you are thinking, some of you that are pessimists, you're like, well, no, because there's so much disappointment. I don't know. I think the Apostle Paul informs us when he says we live by faith and not by sight. We have to live in the world with an expectation that God is making all things new and He will make all things right. That this is our posture as believers in this world. That everything is not right. There is no doubt about that. But we live with faith. We live with expectation. We live with our eyes up, not down. We live with our hearts open, not closed. Because we expect that even in the difficulty and the struggle and the challenge, that God's grace, His favor, and His healing, and His mercy will attend to us. And that's what we see here. Here's the cool thing. We don't have time to read the rest of the chapter, but I want you to notice. I want you to notice that both Mary and Zechariah have a song in this chapter. Even though he had to be silent when the silence was broken, when John was born, he broke his silence and began to speak, and there was a song that poured out of him. Mary, the angel leaves her, and, and, and when, she, when she goes to visit Elizabeth, she meets Elizabeth, and, and then it's just so, such an amazing thing. They're so excited. Two ladies who, could not be, who couldn't be pregnant, <laughs> the one because she was old and the one because she was so young. God does this, I think. I think he, he, he's working at both ends of the spectrum He's working with every person, old and young, every person in between, and he's, and he's doing something. And when, and when Mary and Elizabeth meet, John, who's in Elizabeth's belly, jumps at the, at the, at the proximity of Jesus. That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? That's, pretty, that's like weird. But here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live with expectation, I want to challenge you to live with suspicion that Jesus just might be working behind the scenes. Here's the three things I want you to learn from today. I want you to learn to expect that God is at work even though you don't see it. It's suspicious. You live life, oh, I wonder if God is doing something. That is so much better than, I wish God would hurry up and do something. I wonder if Jesus is working on my behalf. Psalm 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on what? On your own understanding, but in all your ways, in everything you do, acknowledge Him. That means know Him, acknowledge that He is, all right? And, and so that means in all your ways, be suspicious. I like to call it holy suspicion. 
it's a whole, I have a holy suspicion that God is doing something. And even though I can't quite see it, I'm willing to go with it. I'm willing to go in faith. I'm willing to keep walking. I'm willing to keep slugging it out. I'm willing because I know that God is giving me his strength and his courage and his favor. He gave his favor to Zechariah and Elizabeth and to Mary. Two ends of the spectrum. One doubted, one did not. And yet they both sing. God is so merciful. They both sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. Be with me. Be with us. We thank you for, lit, for, for the faith. Give me the faith to understand and to believe that you are indeed with me, in me, working behind the scenes. Second point is to be faithful with what you already know to do. You see Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're faithful with what they know to do. They're at work. They've got a duty to do, and they do it, and God shows up in the midst of it. I want to tell you this. The parable of the talents, many of Jesus' teaching and parables are based on this idea, and it is faithfulness. If you will be found faithful, you will discover that God has been working behind the scenes all along. If you choose not to be faithful, there are risks involved. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But it is faithfulness that I think provides the best opportunity for being able to see what God is doing. So number three, to stay innocent and servant-hearted. This is what Mary did. Mary saw the angel and she, and she said, how can this be? Because this hasn't happened yet. And then she said, whatever you say. And you've got to understand, Mary knew who the Messiah was. I mean, this is essentially like an angelic being, you know, like if you and me today, okay, me and you, we're, you know, we're 15 years old, we're a little you know, young girl, and an alien shows up from outer space and begins to speak to you and tells you that your son is going to grow up and be president of the United States. He's going to cure cancer, and he's going to bring the, best, the most incredible end-time revival the world's ever seen. Okay, that's what that would be like if God said that to you, <laughs> and you were a country bumpkin from Dripping Springs. No offense to all my Dripping Springs friends, I live close to there. So, so you've got to understand the context. There's something amazing. And you know what Mary says? Mary says, be it unto me just as you have said. I am your servant. I choose to serve. The scripture says in Matthew 20 that Jesus came to serve. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what do you have to do? You have to be willing to serve. That's where your greatness lies. And if you will serve... If you will come with a servant's heart, if you will approach whatever you're facing with a servant's heart, if you will approach whatever you're struggling with, with innocence and not cynicism, I think you will find that God is doing something inside of you. He will transform you and change you. You will see what he's doing. You'll start to see the clues. Your eyes will be opened. God will begin to work around you and through you and in you. That's what I want us that's what I want us to be as one chapel. That's why it's so important. I, 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 it's so important for us to do things like partner with the Austin uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, South Austin uh, Pregnancy Center. It's so important for us to do things like that, to get engaged in what's going on around our city, to serve people, for people to see that you are Jesus with skin on, that there is something that you're willing to serve. And if, as you're willing to serve, what you will find is you'll discover how much like Jesus you really can be. Doubt will be pushed aside and faith will spring up. 
because you're active. You are activating your faith by serving. I got news for you. This is really big news, all right? And we'll end with this. Big news. Big, big, big. Christmas is not your birthday. Unless, of course, your birthday is on December 25th, in which case it is your birthday. But for the vast majority of you, Christmas is not your birthday. It is Jesus' birthday, so let's celebrate like he wants us to celebrate. Let's serve people. Let's live prepared. Let's be ready. Let's live in expectation and anticipation for what he wants to do. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness to us. Thank you for illuminating our hearts and our minds in your word. Thank you that the light bulb goes on when we speak of it, when we share about it. I pray, Lord, that today you would continue to work in us, even as we leave this place, that we would be in the process of transformation, that you would turn us from being skeptical to being full of faith, that you would turn us from being wearied and doubtful to being expectant and full of life. We pray that you'd do that in us. Do that in each one of us. Now, sometimes the holidays are very hard for people because of different things that have happened in their history. And here in this moment, I want you to, if you, if you feel the sense of God speaking to you. And you you want him to move you from doubt to faith. Or maybe maybe you're just living in so much disappointment that you've stopped expecting anything. Your faith is so small and you need Jesus to help you. You want to turn to him. You want to say, okay, I'm your servant. Be it unto me as you have said. If you sense that today and you want to turn from kind of the way you've been living, if you don't feel prepared to receive Jesus, if you haven't made preparations and you want to, I just want you to just lift your hand in the air. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to do it as as an act that says, yep, I'm going to be like Mary. I'm going to be the one who's prepared. I want you to prepare me, God. I want to lose my my discouragement and my skepticism, and I want to receive your life. Just lift your hand up in the air if that's you. Yep, I see you. Yep, yep, yep. Anybody else? Anybody else all over the room? Yeah, just, just lift it up there and hold it up for a second. Just everybody eyes closed. God, you see these hands, and they represent hearts. They represent people. And you know their story. You know what's going on in in them. You know the longings of their heart. And I pray now that you would touch them today, that you would stir faith in their hearts. I pray that you would stir them up to believe. Stir them up with expectation, anticipation that you indeed are coming. And even though it may feel delayed to them, that you are coming with your peace and your strength and your life, your wisdom, your provision. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Thank you.
you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Do it inside of us. Help us to understand you are God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. I also want to ask if there's anybody here and you've been going through this service and you are here at church and you feel like, boy, I want to follow Jesus. I haven't been following him. My life's not right. I want to follow him. I want to, I want to give my life to him, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And you just sense that you want to do this and God's speaking to you and you're ready to follow him. I want to give anybody in this room an opportunity to do that. Anybody here in this room, if that's you, if I just described you and you sense it and you feel God pulling at your heart and you say, okay, I want to follow you. I haven't been following you, but I'm giving my life. I'm recommitting my life to you. I'm giving it to you again. Then shoot your hand up in the air. Come on, all over the room. Be strong, be bold. Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? Yep, I see your hand over there. I see your hand over here. Yep, that's good. That's so good. Another one up on the top. That's great. So good. This is a good thing. Now, we say so many things that we don't really believe. And we, we say them and, and we, need to, we need to add faith to them. And so I, I'm going to pray and I want you to pray with me and I want you to repeat after me. But it is not the repeating that makes any difference. It is not saying these words, some magic formula. What it is, is you believing that Jesus hears you and you invite him to come into your life and you choose to follow him. So these words with faith, everybody together, the entire group of us, let's commit our lives to Christ today. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life. I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my failures, for my foolishness. I ask you to take my life Make me a new person from the inside out. Give me faith to believe that you are here. I choose to follow you today and for the rest of my life. I make you Lord. Now let me just pray over you, Father. Thank you for the prayer mixed with faith that has great effect. Thank you for what you're doing across this room and you're challenging us and teaching us and, and training us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help every one of us to live a life that is full of expectation, full of you, full of what you're doing, expecting to see it. Lord, I pray that you would protect people who've made a commitment today. Surround them. Help them. Walk with them. And help us to walk with them. In Jesus' name. I'm so grateful that you've committed your life to Christ. Those of you who did this morning or recommitted your life to Christ, it's such an important decision. I want to just draw your attention to the connection card that you have in your worship guide. There's a little box there that says, I committed my life to Christ today or I recommitted my life. There's space to tell about what God's doing in your heart. I would love to hear about that. Plus, I would love to help you with next steps, to help you with what's next. And so if you would just mark that, I'd love to give you an email and just connect with you and help you. Uh, the rest of you, you can certainly turn that in in the offering as it goes by. And that's the last thing we're going to do today is we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. We're going to worship the Lord by giving. God is a giver. And uh, let me just tell you this. Your tithes and offerings are going to all kinds of places across our city. 
we're helping, uh, we're, we're going to help the Austin, South Austin Pregnancy Center with more than just the angel tree today because we believe in what they're doing. But we're going we're gonna to make sure that what we give, that the church is dispensing it and helping ministries and helping mission all over this city and around the world. And so you can be confident that we're doing that, that we're, we're making sure that what you're giving is having an effect in building the kingdom. And so we believe that we're supposed to give as people of God, not because out of, we're, that there's a duty or that because there's an investment, but because it's worship, that we thank God and we love God with the giving of our money something so hard to let go of. If you're here for the first time, we don't expect you to give, but if you want to give, it's certainly fine. So why don't you stand up and let's pray over the offering and we'll worship together while we give. Father, thank you for what you've given us. It really all belongs to you. And so we give you a little portion, a little piece, and we offer it to you. Build your kingdom and do what you want with it. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, let's worship God as we give. <laughs> 